Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. The Nationals are back in Washington, D.C., and so is the Mass on All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano. Paul, good to see you in person, finally, after a couple recordings um, over the airwaves. Yeah, it's been quite a while. Uh, finally back at Nats Park, and happy to be joined by Eddie Matz of ESPN. Senior writer at ESPN.com, Eddie Matz. Eddie, thanks for, so much for joining us. We know it's been a little tricky over the past couple months to get you on the air. Happy to be here. Always a pleasure. Um, so the Nationals getting back from a pretty brutal road trip. Um if you, last time they were at home, they split a four-game series with the Braves, and everyone thought, okay, they still have time to make things up. Seven-game trip to Chicago and St. Louis. They only win two games. Uh, your initial thoughts, Eddie, just on how that road trip went and where the Nationals stand right now? Bad. Bad. Not good. I think road trip go bad. <laughs> I would agree with that statement. Yeah, that, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And it wasn't just the number of losses. It was the how they happened right back to back backbreakers in Chicago and St. Louis that was the game with Chicago walk off grand slam you kind of see it coming you couldn't see it coming but you saw it coming that's just one of those losses where when you're, you're doing the autopsy at the end of the year you look back on that one and that's had a cause of death written all over it not to say they can't come back from it they could but it felt this road trip felt a lot like the one in 15 which also involves St. Louis which is where they lost a couple bullpen games I think Drew Storden was involved in them, and it was one. It was I think that was later. That was in September, but it was kind of that same nail in the coffin kind of feel. So we'll see. You know, they they're back home. They could certainly do some things, but <laughs> it just it did not have a good look. That whole road trip just felt bad. It felt bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their uh, next uh, twelve games come against NLE's opponents, and those first six are here at home, starting with the Marlins and Phillies. Yeah, and I think that you know after that walk-off Grand Slam loss and at Wrigley, everyone kind of said, you know what, I think it was Max Scherzer saying, you know, you know it sucks, but we got to put it behind us and go out and go in tomorrow. And then they win those first three in St. Louis, and it's like, all right, did you really put it behind you, or is that really kind of lingering around? It felt like it kind of lingered a little bit. Yeah, they've been saying that all year. What else are you going to say, though? Yeah. All right, we have to put it behind us. We have to go out there and worry about the game tomorrow. That's like cliche 101 when it comes to baseball. And sure, no matter – if you're a professional athlete, no matter what you're doing, you have to have a short memory. But at some point, you got to stop talking and start doing it. We're 122 games into the season. It's not a small sample size, right? Yeah. This is not aberration. It's not outlier. You know, it's the, it's the, well, they are what they thought we were. Granted, this is not what we thought the Nationals would be coming into the season. I don't yeah. think anyone saw this. But at this point, three quarters of the way through the season, this is who they are. They're a 500 team. You can look at the injuries. They've certainly been beleaguered by injuries. That's not necessarily an excuse, but for them it kind of is. They've lost a lot of guys to the DL, and it's been key guys too. So that matters. That kills them. But there's other things, right? They've lost close games, one-run games. You can point fingers as to whose fault that is. I think (laughs) there are people who look to the bench for that, think about the manager. But it's just been everything conspiring against them, a confluence of events, but this is where they are. That's who they are. Yeah, and certainly factors that you mentioned they've dealt with before and they've overcome in previous years. Injuries last year, it seemed like they had the injury bug with just about every major player and somehow they overcame it, but for whatever reason this year, 
is just every one is just kind of a nail in the coffin. But after this, I mean, it, it's not like, you know, we look ahead and we say, okay, what are their actual realistic chances if there's any chance that they can somehow pull off an NL East championship? The, in September, they take on the, the Brewers. They take on the Cardinals again. They take on the Cubs again. The Phillies for two different series from now until the end of the season. And, of course, the Braves. Eight games out at this point is, uh, you know, stranger things have happened, but is it just impossible at this point? Not impossible. Last I looked, Fangraphs had them at 17%, I think, was their odds of making the playoffs, which yeah. is down from mid-40s last week, 59% at the All-Star break. So <laughs> the odds are plummeting. Yeah. So mathematically not impossible, yeah. but everything needs to happen. That All the things that could happen need to happen, which is Strasburg needs to come back immediately. Doolittle needs to come back and get healthy. Madsen, Herrera, Murphy needs to continue hitting. He's up over 300 now. Harper needs to continue doing what he's doing. Every single thing needs to go their way. They need to win all those one-run ball games. But to me, you know, you talked about them overcoming some of these things in the past. The Strasburg thing is the big one, though. People forget that last year, he still missed three or four starts last year, but by and large, he was as healthy as he's been in a while for a whole season. I think 2014 was the only year he made more starts than that uh this year he has he started once in the last two and a half months that is crippling i mean absolutely crippling to go from him versus whatever his replacement whether that's tommy malone or helixon whatever you want to call it that is a huge huge gap that has a huge impact on the whole team and and talk about the weaknesses coming into the season a lot of people pointed to the fact they didn't have a true fifth starter and you would think they would just kind of make shift with like either Eric Fetty or Ty Malone or Jeremy Hudson, whoever that may be. And then Strasburg goes down for an extended period of time. Now you're down a fourth and fifth starter, but essentially. And this rotation just can't seem to put it together for the full season. Gio's struggled recently. Tanner Rourke has been a bright spot the second half. I mean, he's looked great. Um, and Max is obviously Max Scherzer. Uh, did you, you expect them to do anything maybe the rest of August in terms of a trade or something and try to get a starting position? Or what would you do if you were going to make a move? No, I don't, at this point, I don't expect them to do anything because Strasburg's coming back. It sounds like he might come back to take Helixson's spot next Tuesday against the Phillies. So if that happens, I think you have to, you're probably viewing that as that's our acquisition. He's coming back, right? Because not to sound cynical or fatalistic, but if you're Rizzo and you're not that he's looking at Fangraph's playoff odds, but he's not a dumb guy. And so he knows the odds of them making the postseason are slim at this point. It seems like it would be wasteful for him on the off chance that they do to grab somebody. I think he'd rather roll the dice. He's been rolling the dice all year, right? They didn't they didn't take care of this coming into the season. They got Helixon. But honestly, you know, if everyone's healthy, Helixon's a perfectly viable number five, although he's been dinged up a little bit. But so they gambled there. They didn't get a starter at the deadline. So I don't see any reason why they would do anything differently now in August. They typically don't do that kind of thing anyway, I feel like. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm not, I wouldn't expect them to shake up the rotation in any major way. Eddie, you said not to be fatalistic, but let's be fatalistic for a minute. Let's. If they don't make the playoffs this season, with all the expectations coming into this year, with Davey Martinez saying in his introductory press conference, our goal is to win a World Series, and all the hype, getting over the hump, everything, how much of a devastation would it be if they did not make the playoffs this year? Well, it depends on how you measure that. It's not devastating. There are things in this world that are devastating. I don't think Davey Martinez is getting axed if they don't make the playoffs. That's not happening. Going forward, they still have tons of pieces in place. 
right? Which I think coming down to the trade deadline, that was part of the argument for why you might want to trade a Bryce Harper or a Gio Gonzalez or whomever else might have some trade value because 2019 and beyond, you have Scherzer, you have Strasburg, you have Doolittle, Eaton, Taylor, Soto, even Robles, Robles yeah, turn all those guys, right? So the the window does not close. It was, it was never going to close in my eyes. No matter what happens this year, no matter whether Harper leaves, stays, the window is wide open. So it's not devastating. It's just, for lack of a better word, it's a bummer. Yeah, you know, I think <laughs> if you're a Nationals fan, you expected big things this year. It's largely the same team they had last year and the year before. They went to the playoffs twice. Dusty Baker's not there. I think you know. I was in the camp that I, I thought he should have been around here this year anyway. Same. I didn't think that was the right move. But I'd be lying if I told you that I foresaw a 500 finish for this team. Not that that's what they're going to finish. Um, so it's, it's not devastating, but just shocking, I think, is more what it is. I've been wondering if this feels more like a 2013 season or a 2015 season. I've, I'm leaning towards 13 because back in 13, they made a run. And it was almost a little too too little too late, and um, in fifteen, felt like they more kind of collapsed in on themselves. And to this, for this team, it's, it, for me, it feels more like it's going to be a little too little too late. Like they're not they're going to run out of time. You know, they could catch some fire or you know catch get hot in September, but it, you know the Braves and the Phillies will have already established their their lead in the division, and it's just not going to be good enough. Um, but then again, the schedule does kind of favor them in the fact that they're still playing the teams they have to beat in order to catch up. They, they still play the Phillies and the Braves again, the Cubs and Cardinals, like Paul said. Is that a bright spot? You know, I mean, it's tough because obviously we just saw them play not too well against them, but is that one, a bright spot to look at in September that, you know, they have to go back and beat these guys again? Yeah, I suppose. Either way, you have to win. doesn't matter whether you're playing crappy teams or good teams. I, I guess you just you double dip. If you're I guess it's more team. just like, you know, they're, they still control their own destiny because now you, you have to play these teams. You don't have to... You know, go out and win, and then also hope yeah, that they, you know, they, they lose. They still need help. Like even if they go thirty and ten over the final forty games, seven fifty, I would call that controlling your destiny. They're still going to need help because there's so many teams in front of. Them. Well, there's multiple teams in front of them in the division, and then there's like seven teams in front of them in the wild card. Yeah. So, either way, I don't think they're. I, I don't see them controlling their own destiny. Yeah, um, Eddie, we brought you on this podcast not just because of your great knowledge of the Nationals, but also because I think you have one of the more interesting backstories on the Nationals beat and maybe on in terms of any beat in baseball, you took kind of a circuitous route to get to baseball. Um, you went to Penn, you started out singing, acting, doing all that kind of stuff. How did you end up in baseball given your, your interesting past? Yeah, this is my fifth career. I, had, uh, I, I went to Wharton undergrad, thought I was going to be a business guy, mm-hmm. and then worked as a camp counselor one summer. That was the aha moment. Knew that I didn't want to be business guy. I had always wanted to be like an actor or a singer growing up, but that was like the thing that gave me permission or made me realize that my parents weren't too thrilled. <laughs> so I went to work at Club Med. That was a job for a couple of years after college. That was my first job, best job ever. Uh, then I was an actor for a few years in LA. Then I worked in corporate for a little bit, taught high school math for a little bit. And then next on the list was I always wanted to write and I was, I always did it. I just never did it professionally or anything like that but I knew somebody at ESPN sent some samples and started getting little uh, pro bono work I guess you could say (laughs) I was writing little like one-line jokes for ESPN the magazine basically for free (laughs) really yeah this was concurrent while I was teaching math in Philadelphia inner city Philly which like a weekend I thought it was going to be the dream job I thought I was going to coach and teach and Uh 
I thought it was going to be awesome. And a week into it, I knew it was horrible. It just was not for me for a number of reasons. And so I started moonlighting as this pro bono joke writer for ESPN, <laughs> the magazine. And then slowly but surely just started getting more and more work. And here we are. Gotcha. You kind of glossed over briefly being an actor for a, a, a brief portion right out of college. Anything we would know you in? Depends on your viewing habits. I would hope not. <laughs> uh, but no, I did. I had some pretty good success. I... Uh, so I had my head shaved at the time with a goatee. So I was, really? and I'm, I'm a big guy. So I was getting bad guy roles, even though that's not, if you know me, I'm not, that's not my personality. <laughs> yeah, yep. But it's a very typecasting kind of world out there. Yeah. So I did things like Diagnosis Murder and Pacific Blue. And I don't know whether you know those shows or not, but they're no. like, they're shows that just cycle through bad guys on a regular basis. Because gotcha. they're like cop shows. Okay. So I did some stuff like that. I did uh, the most visible thing I ever did was a Sprite commercial. Really? That they ran the crap out of during the World Series in like 97 or 8. So I made a lot of money gotcha. off of that one. We could probably find that on YouTube. It, sure. it exists somewhere. <laughs> and then I did an E-Trade commercial where I co-starred with Anna Nicole Smith. Really? I got cut out most of it. There's like one little blip of me left in the thing. But it was a cool thing. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah. She's no longer with us. So that was right. kind of a unique thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, did some, some theater and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting few years out there. And you sang as well. Did that, how did music kind of factor into acting? And then did that, has that something that is carried with you? Yeah, I'm an acapella dork. <laughs> so if you've ever seen Pitch Perfect. Yes. I don't know if you're, so Elizabeth Banks went to Penn. She was a freshman when I was a senior. Really? At Penn. She was not a singer. She was a thespian, but a couple dudes in my acapella group, I was in a group called Pen 6 5000, or Pen 6 for short. Okay. A couple dudes were in a show with her that were in my group. Uh-huh. This was just a straight theater show. But so she got to know us, and we had a lot of... The, the groups in Pitch Perfect, the, the dudes group in, that, in, the, in yes. the movie, like that, with Bumper, that guy, uh-huh. was very much similar to our guys group we, we did a lot of comedy we did some singing gotcha. but so the, the the claim to fame is that when pitch perfect the original one came out she uh-huh. was on the press circuit and they asked her so were you a singer and she says no i was just more of an actor i sang but not for real uh-huh. but there was this group on campus this guy's group that did this version of rocket man that was better than elton john's it was just amazing that was our group <laughs> oh, so that's that was like, awesome we finally arrived right like you know 12 years after the fact right, we finally yeah. arrived. So that's I, I still dabble in singing a little bit here and there um, but not as much as i would like to gotcha and you're on career number five would you want to have six, seven, eight? Any? Is there anything after this that you still want to try your hand at? TVD. We're always evolving. Hard to mm-hmm. say. Uh, I don't know. I do know that as you get older, it's a little bit harder to segue from one thing to the next because you, you get married, you have some kids, and, and when you're younger, you can just switch and you don't have anybody to account for. If right. you want to take a financial hit, it's just you. You're just going to eat more ramen noodles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with the family, it, it becomes a little bit trickier to do those kinds of things. But, you know, the, the gig that I have right now, you know, it's... Not a bad gig, right? Yeah. Oh, it's pretty. It's pretty darn good. But, yeah, yeah. But I, I do relate to a lot because I, you know, I did theater in college and that kind of stuff, and came up with a musical background. Do you find how how rare is it for you to find other people like in baseball or on the Nationals beat in particular that have kind of similar interests as you? Yeah, no, very little. <laughs> uh, I think the acting piece a little bit. I feel like because there's like broad, there's a broadcast side of it, and yeah. oftentimes you find people who get into the TV side or people who used to do acting and things like that. Right. The singing piece is less common, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. Uh, I know that Darren <laughs> Ravel, who works for ESPN, he does business reporting, right. for ES, sports business reporting. Apparently, he used to sing in an acapella group at Northwestern. Really? So that was always kind of my fantasy. 
that if I ever took a job in Bristol, which I don't, I've always worked remotely because I didn't really fancy the idea of moving to Bristol. Right, if you've ever right. been there, it's not like <laughs> yeah, not much. Like there's to ESPN, there's not much else. Yeah. But if I ever did that, that was always my fantasy that me and Ravel and a couple other dudes would would do an acapella group. <laughs> um, but if you know of anybody that wants yeah. to do some singing, I'm, I'm down. Are you a singer or not? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, did we can musical? start a little acapella group. And did the, you do musical theater? I did. I did. Uh, I have I have a few credits to my name, not not very many, but uh, Rent, you know, did one of those, did Heather's, those kind of shows. This could be the genesis, right? This could be the beginning <laughs> of something huge, right here. You don't have no idea how you're excited you're making Paul. Like, if you were to ask, <laughs> if you were to ask Paul, like, what's your like career or ideal life path, he would have picked exactly everything you just said, like Are- acting. Uh, singing and then a sports writing. Are we, are we going to start singing right now? It's like I think happen? I think so. Even teaching at an inner city school in Philadelphia. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's all all hitting the beats. Who did perfect. you play in Rent? Uh, I was a drug dealer in Rent. Okay, so that's I, like my that's what I did in my TV shows. Right? I was a drug dealer. Even though I am about two feet shorter than you and way less stuff looking, I would say. Um, yeah, but I, there, I think it's funny because there are so few. And you even think on the athlete side, like Justin Tucker is like the only guy I can think of. It's like an athlete who sings. Well, I mean, athletes, you do. Today, actually, today, I heard Wilmer Defoe singing from, I heard his voice from the, really? coming from the bathroom. I didn't know whose voice it was. It was uh-huh. really good. And I kind of peeked into the extent. <laughs> I mean, I didn't walk into the bathroom, <laughs> but I kind of had an angle. And it was Defoe singing. And I know really? he's into music, he's very into his walk up stuff. He played Unchained Melody, I think, at some point last year. Okay. He's, he sounds like he has some legit singing skills. Really? Yeah. See, we got we to gotta put this out there and see who, what we get. There did, could be a lot of singers there. Did you hear the, the, the pitcher for the Pirates, whose name escapes me right now? Uh-huh. He's a reliever, and he sang the national anthem. Yes. And yes. I, so I Googled him. great. I saw it, and uh-huh. it was actually really good. So yeah. I Googled him. He was a vocal performance major in college. Was he really? Yeah. See, that's great. And that's rare. Steven Brault. Boom. That's the one. There Technology. we go. Yeah. Um, and his teammates all supported him. It's not like, you know, like. I mean, why, at this day and age, who's going to like. Exactly. That's like 40 years ago. Yeah, oh, yeah. you're a singer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So this is a question that uh, in our Madison website, we posted to Paul a couple of times because like he said he's a singer. Let's say, whatever reason, we're here at Nationals Park. Whoever's scheduled to sing the national anthem can't do it. 100%. Shows up and they ask you. Would, 100%. Or are you volunteering even? I've done, I've done the anthem plenty of times. I used to, my son, he doesn't play football anymore, but he used to. I would do the anthem before every game. I have an acapella group, kind of semi sort of, that I get together every now and then. We have an anthem arrangement that we work on. We're, I'd be all in on that. Today, I would do it today. Could you do like the, um, what's, what's, what's the song they sing? It's not the Take Me Out to the Ball Game, like America the Beautiful or. You know those words. I suppose I well? could, although I don't have the the repetitions there, so I might brain fart on the the, the lyrics. Gotcha. Whereas the anthem, it's it's in there. I got it. Yeah. Well, there's about an hour till game time. Maybe we can uh, do something to whoever's so- singing the national anthem tonight. And- <laughs> Sweet <laughs> delayed, Lawrence. <laughs> well, Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, one of the most more interesting guys, I think, on Nationals beat and in baseball. In period. My pleasure, guys. Uh, so be sure to follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? At Eddie. I don't have a Twitter handle. No, no Twitter handle. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> at ESPN Eddie Matz. There it is. Uh, so be sure to follow him at Bobby underscore Blanco is Bobby. I'm at Paul Mancano. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you later.